Lesson 4 for July 18-24, The Jonah Saga. Sabbath afternoon, July 18. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to open your word again this week, and we're going to be looking at the story of Jonah and his interaction with you and the people around him. Jonah had an amazing story to tell, but he failed to tell it. And another amazing story came as a result that teaches us something. And as we open your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, help us to find the message for us individually and as a church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Let's read that again, Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. The Jonah saga is the account of a Hebrew prophet working well beyond his comfort zone. Alive during the reign of Jeroboam II, about 750 BC, as we read in 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah is the only Old Testament prophet whom we know of who was directly called to be a missionary in another country. The truth that the creator of all races did not intend to limit salvation to only his chosen people is stated repeatedly in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah and the Psalms, even though popular Israelite theology at the time of Jonah did not accept that the Gentiles were also in God's plan to partake in salvation. Even in New Testament times, it was a hard lesson for the Jewish believers to learn. In the four chapters of Jonah, we read an honest record of Jonah's reluctant pioneering experience as a foreign missionary, both the positive and the negative. Here, a person's inner and very human reaction to the call of God is preserved, along with a powerful appeal for the need of foreign missionaries. A few guidelines for foreign missionaries and cross-cultural witnesses emerge from the book, which also points to solutions for some of the issues and problems modern missionaries face. Sunday, July 19, The Flawed Prophet Question. Read Second Kings, chapter 14, verse 25. What does this tell us about Jonah? In what kind of light is he presented? Second Kings, chapter 14, and verse 25. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from gath Hepher. Outside the book of Jonah, the prophet is mentioned in one other Old Testament passages, 2 Kings 14, verse 25. Here he is honoured as a prophet that predicted Israel's recapture of territory taken by Syria. 
Jonah was born in Gath Hefra, Hebrew for wine press at the waterhole, a town in Zebulun in northern Israel, only a few miles from Nazareth. This means that both Jesus and Jonah were Galilean prophets, separated by about 750 years. Question. Read Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, 9 and 12, chapter 2, verses 1 through to 9, chapter 3, verses 3 through to 10. What kind of picture do these verses present about him, both the good and the bad? Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And verse 9. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And verse 12, And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. And chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy." But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. 
Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Jonah emerges from this book a strange mixture of strength and weakness, self-willed and rebellious, but also teachable and obedient. He was loyal to God, courageous and a believer in prayer, but he was also narrow-minded, selfish and vindictive. While Jonah was described as a servant of the Lord in Second Kings 14.25, he cut a somewhat sad and tragic figure in the book bearing his name. It is a mark of the integrity and reliability of the Bible that he was described in such a candid manner. The natural human tendency of a writer would be to obscure and hide less acceptable aspects of biblical heroes. But, under the Spirit's inspiration, the Bible's authors present the valiant along with the petty in the lives of people to illustrate the truth that, no matter how weak and unpleasant these characters may be, God is able to work through them if they are willing. And so to finish the day, what other Bible characters did God use despite their personality flaws? What hope can we draw for ourselves from the fact that God uses flawed and damaged people to work for him in reaching out to others? Monday, July 20, an early missionary. Go to Nineveh was God's command to Jonah. In the Old Testament, the usual appeal to the nations was, Come to Zion. God's original plan was for Israel to live their religion, making the nation so attractive that other nations would come to them for guidance, as we read in Isaiah 56.7. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jonah, as a forerunner of the disciples in the New Testament, is told to go to Nineveh, which to him seemed an unclean centre of idolatry, brutality and totalitarianism. Jonah made detailed preparations to go west by sea, even though God had directed him to go east by land. Jonah, the unwilling prophet, fled in the opposite direction. Question Read Jonah, chapter 1, verses 3 through to 17. What lessons can be gained from this amazing narrative? Jonah, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. 
Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may be calm for us? So the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God's response to Jonah's flight came in the form of a mighty storm. The winds obey their Creator, even though His prophet does not. Mark 4 verse 41, And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jonah slept during the storm while the Gentile crew prayed, as we read in verse 5. Let's read that again. Jonah chapter 1 verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. In honesty, Jonah confessed that he caused the calamity and he testified to the true God and Creator. Notice that his reply, I am Hebrew, referred both to his religion and his nationality. In their alarm at the ferocity of the storm, the Gentile sailors tried to save themselves and the passengers, and they showed compassion to Jonah in their reluctance to comply with his instructions to throw him overboard. The reluctant prophet was willing to sacrifice himself to save others. When they finally complied, the storm ceased, and the sea calmed, as we read in verse 15. The amazing sailors became Jonah's first converts to his God, who could work through Jonah even while he fled his call.
The salvation of Jonah was just as miraculous as was the salvation of the ship. God prepared a great fish. The original Hebrew doesn't specify what sort of fish saved Jonah by swallowing him. Jonah in the belly of the fish is certainly the best-known episode of the story. However, it should not overshadow the book's deeper message that God loves, cares for, and wills the salvation of all people. And so to finish today, in the end, there is only one God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, as we read in Isaiah 44 verse 8. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. And Isaiah 45 verses 5 and 6. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Anything else anyone worships is idolatry and error. Any other god they pray to is imaginary, a lie. Why is this truth so important for us to realize and internalize for ourselves, especially in the context of mission? Tuesday, July 21, in the belly of the big fish. The three-day experience in the belly of the big fish became a type of the death and resurrection of Christ, as we read in Jonah chapter 1, verses 17, through to chapter 2, verse 10, and Matthew 12, verse 40. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple." The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple." Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. God provided and directed the great fish. Although there are accounts of people who survived at sea after having been swallowed by a whale, 
we must remember that God provided this particular great fish as well as the miraculous power that sustained his servant while inside. In the end, this was a miraculous event that could have occurred only through the supernatural intervention of the Lord, who is revealed all through the Bible as a personal God who does indeed intervene miraculously in people's lives. There is evidence that the phrase three days and three nights, was an ancient figure of speech expressing the time needed for the imaginary journey to Sheol, the Hebrew name for the realm of the dead. Considering what happened to him, Jonah indeed should have been as good as dead. In the belly of the fish, Jonah began to pray. The captain had directed Jonah in vain to call on your God in Jonah 1 verse 6. Now, In a hopeless situation, Jonah starts to pray, and seriously too. It took something this desperate to get him finally to do what he should have been doing all along. A summary of Jonah's prayer has been preserved in the form of a psalm of thanksgiving. Such psalms typically include five parts. One, an introduction. Two, a description of the distress. Three, a cry to God for help. Four, a report of God's action. And five, a promise to keep any vow made and to testify to God's saving action. That is, Lord, if you get me out of this, I promise to do such and such. Who hasn't prayed like that before? The question is, did you do what you covenanted to do? Question. Read Matthew chapter 12 verse 40. How does Jesus take the story of Jonah and apply it to himself? Also have a look at John chapter 2 verses 19 to 22. Matthew 12:40 reads, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And John chapter 2 verses 19 to 22. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. The chapter ends with the words of Jonah chapter 2 verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. God's command to the great fish brought about what well-meaning sailors failed to do for Jonah. In the same way, Christ commanded the disciples after his resurrection to go into all the world. So Jonah after his underwater adventure, went to the Gentiles and became the most successful missionary in the Old Testament. Jonah's rescue witnessed to God's saving mercy. His seaweed-draped arrival on the beach testified to God's determination to save even sinful Assyrians from death. Wednesday, July 22, The Nineveh Generation 
Question. Read Jonah chapter 3. What great message is found here in the context of outreach and evangelism? Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 read, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Two verbs are important in the text. First, this is the second time God says, Go. God does not give up. He grants failing humans a second chance. Here again, we have the New Testament mission concept, which is the idea of going to the nations as opposed to expecting the nations to come to you. The other important verb is proclaim. Proclamation has always been important in the Bible. It is still the most effective way of spreading the gospel message. God emphasized to Jonah that it should be the message I give you. That is, the message we proclaim must be God's, not our own, nor even a tweaked, modified or bowdlerized version of it. God's message is generally threat and promise, judgment and gospel. His stark proclamation was, in verse 4, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the judgment. Yet, there was also a promise of hope, of deliverance, of salvation. There must have been, because the people heeded the message and were saved. Even with the everlasting gospel at the heart of it, Revelation chapter 14 verses 6 to 12 also warns about judgment. Gospel and judgment go hand in hand. The gospel offers us God's way to avoid the condemnation that judgment would justly bring upon all all of us. No preaching of the gospel is fully effective unless judgment is taught. Political correctness, which leads to a watering down of these stark elements and downplaying differences between religions or even between different Christian traditions, is risky. Though in mission, we need to adapt our presentation for the people we are trying to reach, that's called contextualization. we must never do so at the expense of the message God has given us to proclaim. 
In Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 to 10, what happened? The Ninevites believed, acted on their beliefs, exercised their faith, and were saved. God has given us some wonderful promises and stern warnings too. What should this story teach us about the conditionality of these promises and warnings? Thursday, July 23, Jonah's Lament Jonah chapter 4 verses 1 to 11 confirms that the greatest obstacle for God to get his prophet involved in world mission was not distance, wind, sailors, fish, or Ninevites. It was the prophet himself. Let's read John chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head, so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not laboured, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than one hundred and twenty thousand persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? It was the prophet himself. Ninevite faith contrasted with Jonah's unbelief and vindictive spirit. Jonah is the only person in the scriptures who accuses God of being gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in love, and who relents from sending calamities. One would think most people would view these aspects of God with thankfulness. Ellen White writes in Prophets and Kings, page 271, When Jonah learned of God's purpose to spare the city that, notwithstanding its wickedness, had been led to repent in sackcloth and ashes, he should have been the first to rejoice because of God's amazing grace. But instead, he allowed his mind to dwell upon the possibility of his being regarded as a false prophet. 
Regardless of his reputation, he lost sight of the infinitely greater value of the souls in that wretched city. The compassion shown by God toward the repentant Ninevites displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Question. Read Jonah chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. What do these texts teach us about the character of God in contrast to sinful human nature? Why should we be glad that God, not fellow human beings, is our ultimate judge? John 4, verses 10 and 11. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not laboured, nor made it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons, who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? Jonah showed his anger twice in chapter 4. He was angry because God changed his mind, and saved Nineveh, more than 120,000 inhabitants. He was also angry because the vine withered. In his selfishness, the prophet needed to get his priorities right. God instructed Jonah to recognize human brotherhood based on the fatherhood of God. The prophet should accept his common humanity with these foreigners, although they were wayward. Were not 120,000 people more important than a vine? And so, to finish the day... Read again the Lord's rebuke to Jonah. In what ways might the Lord be able to say something similar to us? That is, how often do we find ourselves more concerned about our own personal issues, many of which at times can really be trivial, than about the lost souls whom Christ shed his blood to save? Friday, July 24. From Johannes Verkel, Contemporary Missiology, published in 1978, page 96, we read, The book of Jonah is so significant for understanding the biblical basis of mission because it treats God's mandate to his people regarding the Gentile peoples and thus serves as the preparatory step to the missionary mandate of the New Testament. But it is also important for catching a glimpse of the deep resistance this mandate encounters from the very servant Yahweh has chosen to discharge his worldwide work. And that brings us to our four discussion, five discussion questions this week. Number one, Ellen White writes in the Southern Work, page 80, In the history of Nineveh there is a lesson which you should carefully study. You must know your duty to your fellow beings who are ignorant and defiled and who need your help. The question is, what is our duty to these fellow beings? 2. Assyria was one of the superpowers dominating the ancient Near East from about 885 to 625 BC. Israel and Judah suffered repeatedly under their harsh rule. Israel's King Jehu was forced to pay tribute to the dominating Assyrian ruler Shalmaneser number 3, 
Israel finally fell to Assyrian forces about 722 BC. No wonder Jonah was reluctant to go to Nineveh, one of the four chief cities of Assyria, and the centre for the worship of Ishtar, goddess of love and war. God had called him to visit the very spiritual heartland of enemy territory to call on the warlike Assyrians to repent. What lessons are here for us in regard to missions? Question 3. How can the remnant church avoid the assumption that the counsels and blessings of the Lord in areas such as the Sabbath, health and education are given to them for their own benefit, rather than for the benefit of the nations, as we read in Revelation 3, verses 17 and 18. Because you say, I am rich, having become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve, that you may see. And question 4. In what ways do the three angels' messages of Revelation 14, verses 6 to 12, reflect the message that Jonah had for the Ninevites, beginning at verse 6 in Revelation 14? Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any one worships the beast and his image, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends for ever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And question five. Some people automatically reject the Jonah story, particularly the part where he is in the belly of the fish. What presuppositions would cause them to reject it out of hand? What presuppositions do you need in order to believe it? Inside Story Our mission story this week is the second part of Twice Victorious, and it's by Natalia Villanova from the Philippines. The Villanova teens joined the Pathfinder Club. The club scheduled an outing to Mount Kittenglad, hoping to earn their mountain climbing honour. James Villanova, aged 16, eagerly started the six-hour trek up the mountain with his sisters and twelve other Pathfinders. Soon he found himself ahead of the rest and decided to wait. He stepped onto a tree stump to get a better view. 
three wires similar to those strung along the trail to guide hikers hung above his head. He reached up and grabbed one of the wires for balance. When he saw his sisters approaching, he turned to swing off the stump. As his feet left the stump, a sharp pain flashed through his hand and he crumpled to the ground. James's sister Natalie saw him jump. She saw sparks shoot out from his hands as he fell. She raced to where he lay motionless. His hands and arms were so badly burned that the skin was peeling off. Someone get help, she shouted. James has been electrocuted. While someone ran for help, Natalie tore off her shirt to make bandages for her brother's arms. Toto, the Pathfinder leader, raced up the slippery mountainside. He ordered some Pathfinders to climb to the summit and call for help. He sent the rest down the mountain to summon an ambulance. Toto and Natali remained with James, praying that help would come in time. Three men who worked at the summit came upon the accident scene. The men rigged a stretcher from a sleeping bag and began the dangerous trip down the slippery mountain. It was dark when they reached the bottom. They placed James in an ox cart to carry him the two and a half miles to where an ambulance waited. James arrived at the hospital twelve hours after the accident. Natalie stayed with her brother until their parents arrived. The doctors wanted a permission to amputate both of James's arms, but Natalie refused. When her parents arrived, she begged them to have James airlifted to Manila, where he could receive better care. But even there, the doctors said that James's left arm was too badly burned to be saved. Through the difficult months following the accident, the family could have lost their faith, but prayers and the support of the church members helped to hold their faith intact. James is already planning to go back and conquer Mount Kittlingat to earn his mountain climbing honour. But, in the eyes of many, he has already conquered more than a mountain. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember... God is always faithful.